welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. With me today is an amazing guest, someone I met recently at an actual uh, marketing research event and had a fantastic conversation. But, you know, in our podcast, as of late, we've been talking a little bit about where agencies are going, where agencies really must go. And we've been speaking with a couple of different market research people that have been really up there in high theoretical uh, types of conversations. And then we're talking on the other spectrum with people and agencies. And today's guest is going to bring that together. So welcome, Fritz. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Priscilla. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Um, we have a, a marketing uh, brand strategy firm based in Madison, Wisconsin, and the, the short uh, version is that we help brands tell meaningful stories. So uh, we, we see ourselves primarily as a strategy firm, but we do a lot of uh, really in-depth market research because um, our strategies depend on having uh, deep human insights to build of those strategies. Right. Now, when you say deep human insights, so you're really tapping, using your research and your 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 toolbox of, of great research uh, methodologies to uncover, like, what is emotionally driving the consumer, correct? That's exactly right. We believe that emotion drives behavior. And um, the latest brain research has shown that about 95% of our cognitive activity is really subconscious. So we, we sort of like to think that we live in this rational world where we make lots of <laughs> rational decisions, like as if the metaphor were, uh, you know, we're driving this car and we're making all the decisions. But even if you think about driving your car, you know, when you hop in your car, you're not really thinking about shifting and turning on the ignition. You know, it's all kind of a subconscious, habitual uh, activity. So a better metaphor is really, uh, it's like we're, we're, we're this little mouse riding this huge elephant. And the elephant is the elephant of emotion and, and subconscious thinking. And the elephant kind of goes wherever it wants to go. And the little mouse says, well, yeah, I, I wanted to go there. So the, the mouse is sort of rationalizing. Our, cogn- our conscious uh, thinking is rationalizing what we were probably going to do anyway. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because if it were not for 95% of our emotions driving uh, our consumer behavior, the women's shoe business would be completely bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Shoes, that's a fascinating category. You're absolutely right. Oh, for sure. Let's do things that, number one, I don't need, and number two, you know, cause me pain. (laughs) I think you can put put convertibles in the same uh, category. Ouch, ouch, you're hurting me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, a convertible, a, a habitual convertible driver. So, <laughs> well, I am too, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, right? You know, we we want to live in an emotional world too. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, it's interesting. I, I think teeing up this conversation you and I will have. I remember reading an article very early in my marketing uh, years about how people who make the statements, "Oh, you know, I don't, I'm not susceptible to advertising, or it doesn't affect me," you know, I don't buy brands based on the advertising or because of the packaging, etc. Etc. Et people who say that actually are far more susceptible because they don't put they don't actually create a mechanism for saying to this, your subconscious or your emotions say wait a minute why am I buying this you know that's it, exactly right, You're exactly right. <laughs> let me tell you a really quick story yeah. my, a while ago my wife and I were thinking we needed a new sofa mm-hmm. and so we're driving to the store the furniture store. And I literally said to her, uh, we, we can't get a, a white sofa because the dog will get on it. It'll get all dirty. And we can't get a leather sofa because the dog would, you know, punch a hole in it. And we got to the store and we, we walked in and we 
on our left side, there was this beautiful cream-colored Italian leather sofa that would fit <laughs> perfectly in a room, and we ended up buying it. And um, the you know, literally before walking into the store, I said, well, you know, we can't do this. So you know, the the sales pitch was, well, it's actually uh, you know, it'll it's not really white; it's sort of cream, and the, <laughs> the leather will hold up better to the dog, but. You know, the bottom line is we do, we, we, we make decisions from our, our heart and uh, we rationalize them with our head, uh, whether we like to believe that or not. And if you think about even the, the biggest decisions you'll make in your life, like, you know, you know maybe uh, if you're married, you know, who's your spouse? It's, it's completely a non-rational decision. That's, a, you know, we fall in love or, mm-hmm. or, or a house. You know, we, we look at 30 or 40 different houses and then we walk into one and we, we fall in love with a house, even if it's out of our price range or, or doesn't fit perfectly. It's just... It's a feeling that drives the, the decision. Now, do you still see, even in all the years you've been doing this and been in marketing, do you still see really obvious consequences or, or obvious uh, examples of agencies who are still pretending like people are making decisions based on logical conclusions? And, you know, if this, then this, of course, they'll buy it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I would say, very inefficient advertising out there it's it, 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 i think the best advertising tells a story because people remember stories they don't remember facts they don't remember uh your features i think the the best stories are the stories that tell a story about how the brand is helping someone so it's really a story about that someone not about the brand you know the brand happens to play a role in 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 that story but it's not the story of of, of the brand itself well, tell us a little bit more about that because your actual agency, Brand Garden, uh, it really has as its, I would say, maybe its cornerstone or maybe a underlying uh, ethos is that the storytelling is absolutely the most powerful driver. And so tell us a little bit about why you started Brand Garden and, and, and how that relates to your belief in storytelling. Sure. Well, I, you know, I spent over a decade with Johnson & Johnson. I was in charge of their marketing for baby products. And mm-hmm. I saw over and over again that people were buying the story of Johnson's, not not the actual product. And um, that, that was worth a lot of money. We could sell our products for twice as much as the, the private label because they basically uh, trusted us and, and told themselves a nice story about Johnson. So, um, you know, People buy stories. They don't buy things. They buy the story about the thing. And some stories are better than others. So what our company does is we try to help identify which story is most uh, compelling for your brand. And let me explain that a little bit. First of all, when I say you got to tell a story, it has to be a true story. So there has to be something inherent about your brand that's 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 um, that's true and powerful and 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 offers something to the to the consumer. Um, but we also have to understand what kind of stories do consumers want to buy. So if you're in the banking category, for example, you know you might not want a story about a, uh, a irresponsible jester, you know, that's or a, a fun-loving uh, jester. You know, that's not a story you buy into. But you might be interested in a story of like a a ruler or a caregiver or a mentor. And in fact, uh, these are stories that are, there are some stories that are better, better than others, and we call these archetypal stories. So one of the things that our company does is we try to help your brand find its archetypal story that's both true and connects very deeply on a very human level with your customer. So you're really, in that sense, getting into some pretty deep psyche work. <laughs> yeah. <Correct? laughs> when we do, 
Yeah, I, and I very early in my career, I worked with a, a guy named uh, Clotaire Rapai, who would take uh, a whole group of consumers in a room, and he'd listen. And like, let's say you're talking about a topic like uh, shampoo, for example, and he'd let them talk for three hours about shampoo, and then he'd send them away, and then he'd bring them back, and he'd turn the lights down low, and he'd let them sit on comfortable chairs, and he'd kind of let them talk about whatever they wanted to, and it would. He, he sort of disregarded everything they said about shampoo, every single thing. And then he would probe more deeply for what it, the feelings around um, sort of the, sim, the symbolism of, of shampoo, trying to get to that uh, sort of the archetypal idea of, of shampoo. And it was a fascinating approach. And one of the things I learned from that is that you, you, consumers can't tell you how they feel about something very well. And it, it, sometimes they don't want to, and sometimes they can't. So if I ask someone, you know, well, why are you driving that Mercedes Benz? They're never going to tell me, oh, because it makes me look powerful or makes me look important. <laughs> They're going to give me some rational alibi, which is like, you know, well, the German engineering is really good or it's right. a dependable car. <laughs> so so we, we've developed a whole bunch of techniques that, get, that don't ask the consumer directly why they do what they do, but sort of give them opportunities to express their emotions in very different ways. And one like techniques like we have a, a a deck of cards that they can choose from that expresses how they feel in certain situations, um, or we have them complete a sentence really quickly. Sentence completion. Sometimes we um we we get them very relaxed and we close their eyes and then walk down a hallway with there's a door at the end and on the on the door is a sign that has your brand. Let's say uh, uh, Listerine, and then they walk through that door. What do they see? What do they imagine behind the door? Because they've never really imagined that before, so it's their subconscious that's uh, expressing what they're seeing behind the door. Yeah, and you're tapping into more, of maybe more raw, and maybe, would, would, would it be fair to say, also maybe a more true, like a less distilled, uh, uh, you know, reaction? That's exactly right. We're, we're tapping into those, those thoughts, ideas that they have that aren't being filtered by their conscious brain, and that's really what we want. We want to understand how they feel about certain things. Mm-hmm. It's a really, Priscilla, if you ever think about, you're trying to remember someone you met at a conference or a while back, um, and you can't really remember that person, but often you can remember exactly how you feel about that person. And then and then maybe it comes to you a little bit later. Well, that's our emotion trying to help us remember certain things. And it's it's very, very powerful. So it's that emotion that we want to tap into. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting, let, let, let's kind of, this is my podcast, so I get to go any direction I want. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because we met at a, uh, at a marketing conference. I was speaking and we ended up having lunch together. It was an amazing <laughs> conversation. And we talked uh-huh. a lot about industry stuff, which was super great. But I remember we connected about the book Hillbilly Elegy also. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't remember at first, I was like, what was the book that he and I were talking about? Because I couldn't remember the actual book, but I remembered the feeling of, and there were, there were emotions of going, this guy was smart. I felt engaged. I felt like, you know, we could, like this could, you know, this was a real conversation. I remember having those feelings about our conversation, but I could not remember what we were talking about. And it took me a couple of days of my brain working on it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's what Fritz and I were talking about. But, yeah, you're right. I was left with the residual emotion, and my brain can remember that. And so I'm like, oh, this is a really smart guy. That was my last feeling, you know. Well, so I think that that is, that is really true. But I think, you know, what you're, you know, the conversation where we went about, you know, some of your methodologies and what you're trying to do and tapping into people is that for your clients and really for your marketing strategy purposes, 
you're tapping into true insights and not just providing information back to the clients, correct? Absolutely. I th- most of the this marketing directors and CMOs I talk to these days, they're, they're, they're in a sea of data and they're getting tons. They get so much information, you can't believe it. But what they don't have are insights. And so we, we focus, and, and even a lot of the new techniques that are trying to get them insights, they say they get them insights, they're really getting them just a lot more information. Like the, the, a lot of the A-B testing you see going on of, um, in machine learning, you know, it's really just, um, is, do you like this one better than this one? But to do that, you have to come up with that stimulus of first. And those, those techniques don't tell you, uh, you know, whether a person is really seeking belonging in a category or seeking caring mm-hmm. or seeking a feeling of achievement. And so our, our techniques are really built to understand what's that emotional driver and then help you build a strategy around that deep emotional uh, need that people have in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that, uh, across the board, you know, we kind of joke around and we're in marketing. So we talk this stuff all the time and and talk about research and insights and talk about the awareness that we have about how we're getting pulled by marketing messages Mm-hmm. But, you know, general people don't have that. And then, you know, just because they're not in tune to marketing messages, not because of any other reason, you know, they're not, I'm, I'm not in tune with things that are in their particular industry, you know. So we're right. talking about a lot. But I think there's also, in general, a funky thing about just being human where we're not incredibly self-aware. And it is not something that, you know, we're pushing on a lot of levels. I mean, look at family systems, look at the way we go to work, the way we take certain jobs, the way we, you know, anything like this. There's not a big level of self-awareness that we, you know, that we insist upon <laughs> in order right. to function in our society. So, well, that, and that's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what humans are. And we've been like this forever. If you you read Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman, you know, he, he talks about this system of, of system one thinking and system two thinking. And okay, tell just, me, tell me more. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. So, so Kahneman is a Nobel Prize winner in behavioral economics, and this is a field that's really had a, a huge effect on on marketing and advertising in the last five years, especially. But if you imagine the metaphor of fast fast thinking and slow thinking, and fast thinking is that immediate reaction we have to someone the first time we see them. It happens in a split second, um, or even the first time we we interact with a brand. And it happens at our gut level, it happens in our heart, um, it happens in our body, um, but it, it's a very quick reaction we have versus uh, system two thinking, which is slow, rational uh, thinking. And that, you know, slow, rational thinking is important because it's helped us, you know, develop computers and, and do calculations and all kinds of things like that. But for thousands and thousands of years, humans have primarily depended on the system one thinking and it helped, you know, it's fight or flight. Yeah, it helped with a lot of survival. It helped us get here. (laughs) Absolutely. And it helps with emotion. It's, it's really the emotional uh, energy that we have uh, that, that helps us feel a certain way. So what happens is we take shortcuts and uh, system one thinking sort of drives where we want to go. And system two thinking is sort of that lazy policeman saying, well, it feels right. I think let's let's go with it, you know. And um, so there's nothing wrong with that. These are called uh, heuristics or shortcuts that we have, mental shortcuts. And, and we take them all the time because we're kind of lazy, really, and, and we're busy. And we don't have a lot of time to sort of think about every every decision. So, so many of our decisions, and, and particularly brand decisions, are made using the system one logic. 
Right. So let, let's kind of take that. This has been such a great conversation. And I, I, before we move on to the next thing, I will say that, yeah, I, I think a lot of what I read and from Malcolm Gladwell, and if you also bring that, it's that same concept back to his book, Blink. Absolutely. You know, in that same vein, I have thought about that book. And actually, um, uh, one of my designers here, uh, Leighton, and I talk about that book quite a bit because it's interesting. We Sometimes we think, oh, it's just a gut feeling. No, it's a gut feeling that's been that has come up because of the deep experience we have. And so we have, you know, made a lot of interesting shortcuts. And so they aren't, when you, when people sometimes devalue that gut thinking or your reaction, you know, it's really understanding the importance of all the things that are driving it. However, we also do have then just uninformed gut, you know, reactions. So it's such an interesting conversation to have, whether that's about, you know, marketing, consumer behavior or design, how design sparks certain emotions for us, what's going on. Um, And, but what I like, what I hear, you know, you and I talk about a lot with Brand Garden is that you're bringing that together and saying, look, we, we know that this is how people work. So let's make sure that we incorporate those emotional reactions and understand the important role of emotions so that we can make a, a great marketing strategy. Let's not that's ignore ex- it. That's exactly right. And I think one, it's, it, you know, it's easy to make the mistake that let's say we understand that the emotion is all about uh, feeling powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we make the the mistake then that we try to write ads or build copy or TV ads that, that talk about that. And, and the, the thing about emotion is as soon as you become consciously aware of the emotion, of the emotion, it ceases to be an emotion. Mm-hmm. So the message really is, and, and really good designers and art directors and creative directors understand this, is that you you can say the feature, you can say the functional benefit, but you can't say the emotional, but you have to show it and right. you have to help people feel it. And you do that through visuals. You do that through music. You do that through smells mm-hmm. um, to help people feel a certain way. And then they, they, they rationalize it with those features right. and functional benefits. Now, unless you go the complete opposite way, like uh, I think there's been a cable TV one in the last year, but also like like think of Old Spice. If you yeah. want to go like they are they're it's so obvious, like they're taking that truth and then almost mocking it, you know, like you want to be on a, you know, on a, um, ride bareback on a, you know, a horse on the beach because you're going to be this man that's old spice, you know. So they right. take it and take it all the way to the nth degree. So either in marketing as a strategy, you're going to take that truth that's underlying and absolutely just pull the covers off of it and be so obvious. And that, you know, makes people laugh at themselves in a way that is, has a positive reaction or you're right, or you better keep it covered in a certain way. Like you cannot just come out and say you will be powerful. That that's right. almost to smack people. Like I don't want to be perceived as just trying to be powerful. You know, there's all these other right. you know cultural resistances to that. You know, being called that or being labeled that. I guess so. Well, the br- the brilliance of that campaign though too is that they you know they're really targeting women who are right. buying for men. Um, and there's a lot of implicit uh, messages going on in there too. He's a pretty beautiful looking guy. Um, I know, would that, agree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, your subconscious is reacting to that as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like, oh, this is a great this 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 whole commercial was a break from reality. It was so fun, mm-hmm. and so you're you're also getting that just sheer entertainment value, which obviously has very powerful emotional 
connections to your brand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, humor is an important thing. You know, humor is an emotion too, and it opens up a lot of doors. When we're laughing, or it's hard to be defensive. So, uh, you know, good advertising agencies understand that as well. Right. Well, you um, let's talk a little bit about your day to day, and I know your whole career has just been around helping global brands really discover their core story and helping them tell their story really well, make it powerful, make it memorable. So tell us a little bit about your day-to-day, having left Johnson & Johnson, and now you you know, you know started Brand Garden. And so what does your day-to-day look like as you're trying to bring meaningful strategies to uh, brands? And, and, and how does that play out? I know you work globally, so talk to us a little bit about that as well. Sure. Well, I've always been really interested in why people choose one thing or another, one brand or another. And, uh, you know, it, it, the more we learn about the brain, it's fascinating. And then the more we understand really how people make decisions. And wh- when I was at Johnson & Johnson, one of the, we had a product called Baby Cologne, if you can believe that. <laughs> and that sounds, might sound so weird to us. It doesn't sound weird to me because I grew up in Europe. There you go. Okay, so, so in uh, well, in the Hispanic countries, and, mm-hmm. and even in the U.S., like in San Antonio, uh, baby cologne was one of the best-selling baby products, if you right. can imagine that. And what was going on there was they're trying to help a baby smell clean and fresh, like a like a clean, fresh baby. And when you think about like baby lotion, or uh, you know, it's basically doing the same thing. Uh, in a way, you're putting a, a fragrance on a baby to make it smell fresh and clean. And, and your rational brain is telling you, well, you're, you're moisturizing the baby's skin, but your subconscious, really, you're, you know, you're telling a story about, I'm, I'm making my baby fresh and clean so I can present him to other people and he'll smell like a fresh, clean baby. So, right, and that also goes into the laundry, laundry detergent choice. Yeah, <laughs> you know? sure. So, yeah, I'm right. following. Okay. Right. So it was interesting, you know, why it was basically expressing the same thing but in different cultures, do, doing the same job in different cultures, but doing it in very different ways. So I've always been interested. I, in, in college, uh, I did a degree in, in German literature, and I was really interested in the stories that people told um, uh, in different cultures. And I, I came across something called brand archetypes, which Carl Jung is, is the person that really pioneered this. He was a mm-hmm. contemporary of Freud. And, you know, you talked about our experience that helps us know how to feel certain ways. Well, he would add to that and say that there's, there's certain things in humans that are innate and that we all share this, what he called a collective unconscious. And the content of that collective unconscious was something he called archetypal ideas, archetypal stories. And when you go around the world and you see, like, the story in Germany, the story of Siegfried was, you know, that was their great German myth. Uh, and Siegfried was this great warrior who, he fought this dragon Waffnir uh, when he was a young man, and he was covered in the blood of the dragon. But there was one little spot on the on his back that wasn't covered, and so he was, he was vulnerable in that one spot, and later he gets a spear in the back. Um, it sounds very familiar if you know Greek. Uh, it sounds like an Achilles heel. Exactly. And Achilles, <laughs> you know, as a baby, dipped in the river by his mother, but held by the heel, and Therefore, he's got this one vulnerability. So what Jung said these are archetypal stories, and this is the, that's the story, the archetypal story of the hero, for example. And we know, we know the story arc of the hero. We know it's going to, um, you know, the hero's going to overcome challenges and then uh, defeat the, the bad guy. Um, and it's the same all around the world. Our Superman, for example, with kryptonite has this, this uh, vulnerability, or Samson and Delilah. It's the same, mm-hmm. the same story. 
So when you think about like a James Bond, which is the classic hero story, you know, we kind of know how that story is going to end. He's going to end up with a beautiful woman in a boat somewhere or driving the hottest car. Um, but we still want to see it because that story speaks to us about overcoming uh, significant challenges like, um, you know, Dr. No or whoever the, the, the evil villain is at the time. I was just thinking that this morning, Fritz, with, with Christmas coming. And I was just like, yeah, you know, certain holiday movies that we see. And I was thinking about the holiday, which is just a silly, you know, I'm like, and I said to myself, literally this morning, I said, why do I watch that? It is the same arc. It is the same. It's like such yep. a predictable thing, but there is something enjoyable about that, that I look at that and go, okay, that is total escape thing. That's something I'm totally going to watch over Christmas holiday to completely unwind. But there is that it is an archetypical story uh, and it is, has the same arc. I know exactly what's going to but we yeah. are wired for patterns. We are we, wired we love, for this. We love that. And, and Priscilla, that's a great metaphor for, for a brand. If you think about James Bond, for example, um, you know, it's it, it, for for 50 years, it's been a successful movie franchise telling exactly the same story. But what do they do? Every time they come out with a new James Bond or Star Wars or whatever it is, they bring energy to that story. They tell it in a slightly different way. There's some new characters. I mean, we know the story arc, it's exactly the same, but they bring energy to it. And I think that that's the new metaphor for a brand, which is we have to have a core story. Are we a hero? Are we a caregiver? Are we a rebel? Are we a lover? You know, we have to stick to that core, right. but we have to, to bring energy to that story. And in fact, it, it's getting the cycles shorter and shorter. We have to bring it every day now instead yeah. of every six months coming out with a new ad campaign. We have to, you know, be online, just like you're doing with uh, Little Bird Marketing. You know, you're blogging every day and there's always a new story. You're bringing energy to that story. Right. Well, that, I think that's just like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I turned to yeah. my husband the other day. You know, this is my kids or my boys that are of the age that this is a great movie. And I love watching them with them. And I look at my husband the other day and I was like, yeah, I don't understand the storyline. I don't know what's happening, but I have a fun time watching it every time. <laughs> it's entertaining. It's fun. But if you ask me for the story or who's who or why is it happening or what is it, I, I, I might officially have gotten into mid-age right there <laughs> with well, that you know, comment to my husband. About Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of archetypal characters that pop up in that too, just like right. in Star Wars. You know, you've got the mentor and you've got the regular guy and the hero and the rebel and so, uh, you know, they, they know Hollywood knows what they're doing. Hollywood, you know, they're the masters of storytelling. And I think the, the really strong brands are, are beginning to apply a lot of those uh, principles mm -hmm. to telling, the, telling their own story. Yeah. Well, I like that you said, you know, you kind of just gave a little bit of a vignette into your day about like, a, you know, putting like certain cards in front of people that put emotions and, uh, you know, like, so what is, you know, like, how does this brand make you feel or, or this, this brand is like a, you know, like putting words to some of those archetypes yeah. that we have that we, we can't walk away from. We have those patterns right. we, of thinking. And so now how do we apply them to brands? So absolutely fascinating. Well, do you have a, a, a interesting story or maybe a little antidote about how you have been working, you know, in market research really globally or something that, I don't know, just comes to your mind that you think our audience would be interested in a nuance of something that I didn't ask you, I failed to ask in the interview. No, I think, yeah, uh, let me tell you a story about, we did a lot of work with uh, the brand Band-Aid. Everyone's familiar with Band-Aid. Right. Um, and uh, we did this work in Korea, Japan, China, uh, in the U.S., you know, some 
what happens with big global brands is when they do research, they want to go into those key uh, global markets. That, that So we end up doing research, and we have to develop techniques that work in all these markets. So the power of archetypes is that they exist all over the world. And so uh, the cards that we've developed are very powerful. We've had to translate them into eight or nine different languages to, to be able to do this research, but they always work. And the interesting thing about uh, Band-Aid is around the world, people had sort of a magical ritual for when their child uh, got hurt. And the, the first interesting thing about that is that most of the hurt that child children have is, is, is imaginary. <laughs> they have a lot of boo-boos. Um, one of the first things we found is that uh, moms were like putting the Band-Aids up on a high shelf where the kid couldn't reach them because they, the, otherwise the child would like put Band-Aids all over their body and say, uh, you know, I, you know, I have a boo-boo mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so those boo-boos, some are real, some are imagined. But we used our cards, for example, to help the mom express how she felt when she heard the cry of her child and then how she felt when she put the Band-Aid on, um, who the Band-Aid would be if it came to life as, a, as an archetypal character, and then how she felt afterwards. And it was such a fascinating uh, study because it, I don't know if you have kids or not. I have three daughters. but I've, when they Yeah, were, I've got three. <laughs> <laughs> when they were little, uh, you know, they depend on you 100% when they're tiny. You know, you're, the every, you're their whole world. And uh, you kind of like that as a, as a mom or a dad. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they turn two or three and they start becoming independent and running around. And, and you, it, subconsciously, you're sort of feeling like, oh, I kind of missed that those days when, you know, they, they, they were, they've come and hugged me and loved me and now they don't need me as much anymore. But when they get cut or hurt, there's this coming together again, and one of the really interesting things we found was that after mom solved the problem, putting the Band-Aid on, you know, the, first of all, the crying stopped immediately. It's like magic. <laughs> um, and there was this reward. There was the child hugging the mom afterwards and kissing her and saying, thanks, mom, you know. And that was a really powerful, uh, re you know, the vulnerability of the cut or the wound uh, brought this intimacy back together. And the so fascinating. The card they picked for that feeling afterwards with the reward was the lover card, um, mm. if you can imagine. It's because it was a very, very intimate reconnection with their with their child again. Mm -hmm. So it was really powerful. Yeah, you know, that, that reminds me, you know, since we're in the business, that reminds me of a really powerful campaign that Lifesavers did. They connected with that, you know, that, that the, the connection, kind of like the... Um, the elusive, um, meaningful connection with your kid, like you're wanting that. Remember, she, yep. she, the daughter and the and the dad sit down and watch the sunset together, and they're eating a lifesaver. That obviously the idea that it, that the lifesaver lasts a long time. So they're watching the entire sunset, and at the very end, she says, "Daddy, do that again." You know, I'm sure you saw that probably five or six years ago, the last time, and it's a it's such a powerful story that it sticks with you and yeah. it created an emotional connection. So that that's why we remember things when we can create that powerful emotional connection through a good story. Yeah, well, and that just taps into those powerful parenting ones, which you know you would say there are you know some that are more power, you know certain emotions that are more powerful, more more driving force. Right. But uh, you know, I mean, they they don't use the phrase for moms, mama bear for no reason. That's right. <laughs> so that's right. I love that. Yeah, that's such a great story. So, hey, we met at um, this uh, Insights Marketing Day. Did you feel like you got some great takeaways from that day? 
I, I liked your presentation. Oh, well, okay, I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but... <laughs> no, but I will give you one. We are, uh, you know, you gave a fantastic presentation on, on how to better use LinkedIn, and we we came back that, that week, and we applied a lot of what you were uh, teaching the, the, that very week, and it was very, very helpful, so... Well, it's helpful it, for people who are helpable in the sense that I, you are a prolific blogger, and you are um, you are a thought leader in your industry, and so... That's already the basis there. And so then LinkedIn becomes an effective tool, you know, to broadcast it. But, you know, we work with a lot of companies where we have to go back and we have to, you know, start helping them create the content and tap into their thought leadership before we can even start talking about effective tools like LinkedIn. You know, but some of us are better at the thinking about the strategies and not so good at the tactical uh uh, you know, how do we how do we get our message out there in the new digital world? So um, you know, your your talk was fantastic. Very, very helpful to us. Oh, good, good. Hey, one thing, I, I I don't know if it applied to you, but there also was our quiz on thought leadership. Did you happen to take that? I did, and I, I'm, uh, I should have taken it before the podcast. I don't That's remember okay. exactly what type of thought leader I was, but uh, I did take it. I found it really interesting. Well, we'll um, you later on today, go ahead and send me back what your uh, what your result was, and we'll compare yours to mine. I am the I am the radical. <laughs> so go figure. <laughs> um, you know what? You, you had a very caring side to your. Uh, I mean, you, you, you're you're you were you were radical. You're telling it like it was, but um, I think people listening to you got a really nice feeling of you were genuinely trying to help them, and I think that's that's really important for any brand. Right. Um, I think a lot of brands like to talk about how great they are, and what they don't realize is that you're better off telling a story about the people you're helping. Who are we helping? And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're part of that story, but it's the story's not about you. It's about the people you're helping. Yeah. Well, I, that's great feedback for me. And I, I feel like, you know, we joke around here all the time that at Little Bird Marketing, we're kind of like glorified executioners. You know, in our in agencies, and you know this, is agencies take a lot of pride in having the best idea, the best idea, the best idea. You know, it's most creative, most creative. It's just this driving, you know, it's this drumbeat. But we find that a lot of great creative and great ideas do come from the client. They just have never, they can't stop the world enough in order to execute it. Yeah, that's a big insight. These ideas die. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good insight. I mean, I've worked about half my career on the client side, about half on the agency side. And at every agency, it's easy to start to think, oh, those clients, they don't have a creative bone in their body. <laughs> and then on the client side, it's easy to start to think, oh, the agency, they don't have a strategic bone in their body. And, <laughs> They can't both be right, you know. So I think you have to start from a place of, uh, you know, respecting the creativity on on both sides and the strategic thinking on both sides. Right. I love it. So tell us um, where we can find you so my listeners know where to find more. And I'm telling you, you know, if you're interested at all in some of these topics, you've got to read some of these blogs that Fritz puts out because they are, uh, um, they're, they're interesting. I tell people ask me all the time, how long should I write my blog? And I always tell them, stop when it's boring. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's the answer. I know you wanted a number, but I'm not giving it to you. And I love, you know, reading through your blogs. They are compelling. They just kind of, all of a sudden you realize, wow, how am I down this far? This is a long blog. And it's so amazing. It's 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 very interactive. And I like the way you pull in a lot of examples. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't do that. They don't really uh, help people understand the big picture of what they're talking about besides just their their thoughts or their point of view. So you definitely want to catch some of uh, Fritz's blogs. But yeah, let let everybody know where they can find you. So we're at, at Brandgarten with a name like Fritz. I had to give it a German, the company a German name. So 
It's Brandgard10 with a T. Um, it, it's basically, you know, www.brandgarten.com is where you can subscribe to our, our newsletter and, and connect with me or connect with our company. Mm, awesome. And Fritz, help me out, too, with pronouncing your last name. Uh, Grutzner. Okay, I knew I was going to get it right yeah. on that just because <laughs> I did spend time in Germany. But, you know, people yeah. sometimes come... And over time, their families have changed, you know, exactly how they pronounce it. But um, I just love talking with you, Fritz. It's, you know, it's nice to have colleagues who um, who you can have really solid uh, conversations with and and, um, come at some of the challenges we're facing in brands and as agencies come at those with a really a foundational understanding of, um, you know, of why, why the consumer is changing, why that experience is changing, because agencies must change, brands must change. But if we just do it willy nilly without really having these quality conversations, we're really going to be in a world of hurt pretty soon. (laughs) Yep. And it's people, it's in the digital world, it's easy to forget that, uh, you know, it's about feelings, it's about emotion. And so we really, you know, if I love the Maya Angelou quote that, you know, people will forget what you said or what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I think really that's the job of brands today is help people feel a human emotion that they can connect with. And if you do that, they'll connect with your brand. Mm, I love it. Fritz, thanks for joining us. You heard it um, from one of the experts on emotions and connecting the power and importance of emotions to um, to a really successful, a solid marketing campaign. So give us a, a rating on iTunes if you liked this uh, this podcast episode. Give us a comment or if you have a question for Fritz or one that you would like to hear covered in our podcast, we would love to do that. Uh, giving us a rating on iTunes really helps other people discover this quality content, so we'd appreciate it. But Fritz, thank you so much for coming on and giving us a little bit of your time and your expertise it's actually been a really fun conversation. <laughs> For me too, Priscilla. Thank you so much. You're doing Absolutely. such good work out there, and, and and we really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, for Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast, this has been Priscilla McKinney saying, have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.